Welcome to your Truth Revealed, a video podcast that explores your hidden physical and mental health potential. I'm Erica Marcoux, and I share with you the power of self-knowledge. I interview industry professionals to talk about how you can be your own mental health expert. You're listening to episode 19, No, You're Not Alone. I'm so excited that this is the first interview and episode to begin season two. The mental health journey can get lonely, but after sitting down with Karen Reynas, I believe you'll find comfort in knowing you're not alone. A little over nine years ago, I almost lost my then 18-year-old daughter to suicide. And like lots of families, when you get to this place of crisis that you did not ever expect to see. Nami helped us move forward, emboldened, informed, and supported. Karen is the executive director of the National Alliance on Mental Illness in Central Texas, also known as NAMI. It's a grassroots mental health advocacy group. It started as a small group of families gathered around a kitchen table to support one another. We all need this support as the world faces uncertainty and loss right now. Listen as Karen and I dive into what it means to have and be that support system throughout your mental health journey. Thank you for taking the time to do this. And I know you've got a busy schedule and you've got a lot of things today. So I just appreciate it. You bet. I appreciate the opportunity. So thank you. How did you originally get involved with NAMI and how has it changed your life? You know, it's interesting because so much of the work that I do, it is about doing the storytelling piece, which really says a lot about the whole experience and where my passion comes from, because it comes from a very deeply personal place. A little over nine years ago, I almost lost my then 18-year-old daughter to suicide. And um, like lots of families, when you get to this place of crisis that you did not ever expect to see, I mean, talk about being blindsided. She was this super high achieving student. She was in college as her freshman year. There were certainly some signs that we had seen. We suddenly found ourselves just in this place of great isolation and feeling completely and totally overwhelmed. And, you know, it was something completely new and different. And unfortunately, because there is still so much public stigma around this particular health issue and the fact that that stigma manifests itself as shame, for most of us, Mm -hmm. then um, it becomes this sort of toxic sort of place, right? Because here you are navigating a really serious health issue and you're doing it under this cloud of shame and blame and guilt. And shame, Um, the emotion is all about hiding. Oh, absolutely. I often use the language of we hunker down. Yeah. Right? And so that means we're burrowing in, we're just holding on to, you know, ourselves and it's like we're hoping nobody notices, you know? And so we had our own sense of that. And so being the kind of mom that I am, I just did a lot of research. I just really started digging in and doing research and sort of stumbled across NAMI on my own. Mm -hmm. So NAMI provides free classes and support groups for families and individuals who are navigating mental health issues. I'd never heard of them before. And I just got really fortunate that that at the time that I reached out, they were about to launch uh, a class. And it was at that time, family to family was a 12-week course. It was a big commitment. It is a big commitment. Yeah. So for 12 weeks, every Tuesday evening, I would go to that class after work. And then I would come home and sit down with my binder that they gave me. And I would then tell them everything that I had learned that day. 
So even though I was the only one in the class, we all learned. And, and really, fundamentally, what we learned that was, I think, so important to us um, shedding ourselves of that little cloud of shame and blame and guilt was really that we learned that we're not alone, right? Yes. That there was a whole bunch of other people that were navigating this. And secondly, and I think most importantly, that this was a health issue. And that, that is such a key difference. And, and people still don't understand that. Yes. That, it, that yes. it's brain health, just yes. like any kind of other health illness. It's the same. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But and isn't it funny that, is, again, it has nothing to do with education. You know, my husband and I are both well-educated and, yeah. you know, it's not common sense. It really is understanding there is such a sticky quality to that mm-hmm. stigma that still exists. And I think a lot of it is because this particular health issue manifests itself as thinking and actions and behaviors. And so it, it literally then impacts the personhood, right? Yeah. So because of that, I think it's real easy for us to see someone who's manifesting those behaviors or thinking and think, well, there's something wrong with them. Right. I mean, I think if we look historically, even at a word like crazy, which we throw oh, yeah. around a lot, right? Right. Um, if you go to the you know dictionary and look up in Merriam-Webster, the very first definition for crazy is flawed. Ooh, and so that's where we oftentimes think that it's yeah. a character flaw that we have this yeah. mental health issue. Absolutely. Yeah. We don't think of somebody when they get cancer or they have diabetes or emphysema or any other health issue, do we say there's something flawed about that person, right? Right. Um, but we do with this particular health issue. And so it, and that's why I think the education is so important because mm-hmm. I needed that. I needed both the education and the support. I needed to learn that and understand it as the very serious health issue that it was. Yeah. But then I also needed to, to have that support, to come yeah. to know other people that were just like me and just mm-hmm. like my family and come to understand that I didn't have any reason to be ashamed, embarrassed, you know, mm-hmm. guilty, right? For the way things had manifested themselves in her crisis. So that was huge. And so I did these 12 weeks. We had, I had this great experience. The woman that was teaching my class at that time was the board president, Adrian oh, Kennedy. I know Adrian. You know Adrian. Yes. And she's actually currently the um, national board president. So um, right. she continued her work of advocacy on this national scale. Um, but at that time, she, she taught my class. And so she's, if you know her, she's one of these people that will quickly rope you in and say, oh, you'd make a great volunteer. You know, Is that what she did with you? Absolutely. <laughs> I, but however, I was really in this place where I just said, you know what, Adrian, I, I'm not in this place where I can really commit to some volunteer work, but I would love to stay connected. And so at some point I'm, you know, posting a job for the other nonprofit job where I was working at that time because I've been working in nonprofit work. I went to post a position for them. And then lo and behold, the very first job that popped up when I went to this job board um, was this NAMI position. That gives me chills. Yeah. I mean, talk about the universe conspiring to put you where you need to be. Mm-hmm. And there were so many pieces in the story. Yeah. And so when I saw that position, I knew what that meant. And so mm-hmm. I was so excited for Adrian and the organization. So I quickly emailed her and said, hey, I saw this. I just wanted to congratulate you. And she said, yeah, I mean, it's really exciting. And if you know of anybody, please get them connected to us. So, yes, I know someone. <laughs> yeah. 
I didn't think I knew someone and it just sort of stayed with me, you know, but I didn't really think much about it. And then I um, mentioned it to my husband and he just looked at me and he says, why are you telling me this? Yeah. I said, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. And he said, well, it's the second time that you've mentioned it. So are you interested in that position? Yeah. He said, so why don't you just apply? And that way you get a chance to ask some of those questions and then see what happens. And, and I'd sort of gotten to this place of peace and saying, again, it's that whole, like, if it's supposed to happen, then it's going to happen. And if not, then it's just not the right thing. And then I get this call from Adrian mm-hmm. and she says, oh my goodness, we've got to talk. And which literally what she said to me is, look, we're hiring a program manager, but what we're looking for is our first executive director. Oh, we're at a place. Yeah. I mean, so that's a big, that's a big leap for NAMI. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Adrian, I mean, I think she was really critical to that. She recognized that the only way that they were really going to move forward and really create the potential to impact more people's lives was if they put some leadership in place and and created the potential for some continuity and some long-term sustainability of the organization. Because you have to understand that by then, that organization had been around for 27 years and it had all had been volunteer run that whole time. They, I think, approached it from a really smart strategic way, which is they said, we're going to bring in someone as a program manager and it gives us an opportunity to sort of test drive the relationship and to figure out if this is the right person to be our first executive director. I love new things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this just seemed like a really exciting adventure. And I was so passionate about the mission, largely because where I started. Because you understand the heart of NAMI. You know it firsthand. And I think that that's what it takes, people who are volunteering their time or working for NAMI, to have that kind of connection to it. And it's a huge reason why I'm doing my show, because I feel so passionate about providing opportunities for people to understand mental health. Just like with physical health, We have to take care of ourselves in order to experience that. And it's okay to become ill and there are ways to recover. Absolutely. I knew what our family had gone through. I knew that there were so many other families Mm -hmm. navigating the same challenges, the same sense of isolation. And I knew how our family had benefited. And let me be clear that my daughter's recovery and her wellness and where she is today wasn't just about NAMI in the class that I took, Mm -hmm. but it was critical to us moving in a more positive and proactive direction. Right. Um, It helped us move forward emboldened, informed, and supported in a way we hadn't been before. And so I do think that it played a critical piece in our recovery. And so I wanted that for more families. And so I knew um, that having some leadership in place would really create the possibility for that. So I just jumped in. I mean, I really, it felt like a huge leap of faith. Our family just sort of looked at this opportunity and said, what's the worst thing that can happen? I told my mom this morning that I was gonna be interviewing you and she said, I met Karen when she first started in that position, and she said that she has so enjoyed watching you grow into this role and where where you were in the beginning and where you are today, and she's just such a support of you and Nami. I love hearing that. There were so many people like that that saw all the wobbling and the... Messy progress. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, I remember Adrian saying to me, okay, so here's the reality we're handing over this plane to you. It's already flying. 
Like it's already up in the air, but half of the plane is missing. (laughs) That's comforting. Yeah. So don't be scared, but your job is to keep the plane flying while you try to put all the pieces back on, you know, on the plane. It's not like, Oh, the pieces are in the back of the plane. You just have to put them in the right place. Literally some of the pieces we don't even have. It will be seven years that I've been with NAMI Central Texas. And there's not a day that I don't get up excited to do the work. I love that. And I think part of what energizes me is, is what you just shared that your mom said. There are lives that we are touching and there are people that are moving to a better place. And let's be clear, these are serious health issues. Having sat in this for the last seven years, I can assure anyone who hasn't been in this mental health landscape in the last seven years, it is better. The information that my husband would bring home when he took the family to family course, and there was so much more information in there than I even learned in grad school for psychology. I think that is just a testament to how much more information is available and how much more we know. And the other aspect of it being so serious, just like with cancer or with heart problems, it can be life-threatening because suicide does happen when these, when these illnesses go untreated. Absolutely. So some of the work that we're doing, the preventative piece in school settings, educating parents, you know, parents of teens and preteens, all of that is critically important. And just the, the education we're doing in the larger community. Mm-hmm. And I often say like, where I started, part of the pieces of the plane that I helped build at the beginning was really the foundational. Like, how do we make sure our classes and support groups are more robust, right? Yes. Because fundamentally, the most important work that we're doing is for families and individuals. And so that's always the priority. Mm-hmm. But what I realized, even in my own experience, was that I could be educated, informed, and supported. But if I went to work or church, or any other places in the community where I was engaging and they didn't get it mm-hmm. and they didn't know how to support me, then I still was missing. Before my daughter's um, crisis, mm-hmm. my mother was diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor. She was diagnosed oh. with a glioblastoma. She only lived for a month after her diagnosis. Oh. So it went really fast. But in that month, while it was so hard and heartbreaking at times, I have really fond memories of that time Mm -hmm. because our family felt so loved and supported. There was no shame. Like everybody got it. The simple act of just feeding us, because I often say we're not at that place yet where mental illness is a casserole illness, right? (laughs) It hasn't, it hasn't met that, that level yet of acceptance and understanding. When somebody says, um, my son was hospitalized and just diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and that person's support system says, we're setting up a care calendar. We're going to bring you some casseroles. Right. When we get to that place, I feel like that will be the place where we've gotten, it's a health issue. So it's really interesting that you bring that up because we did have a mental health crisis and intervention just a few months ago with my own daughter. During the coronavirus, and I just keep adding more and more stress, right? Yes, yes. And a friend of mine did reach out and she said, okay, when do you want me to bring dinner? And just that she got it. She was reaching out. She wasn't scared to say anything to me. She was there for me. And 
that was such a huge, it's, it's a simple gesture, but it meant a lot to me. Yeah. And she yeah, just kept absolutely. checking in. How are you yeah. doing now? How are you doing now? Yeah. And she helped me move through mm-hmm. it so much easier instead of just feeling like I was had to figure it out on, you know, on my own. Now more than ever, I think as we're experiencing this time of physical distancing, mm-hmm. I think we're really understanding and appreciating the fact that social connection is so important. It really is. Um, there was a statistic that I saw recently that loneliness has the same impact on our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Oh, goodness. We long for and are hardwired for connection. That's right. We need that. And so in those times when we're so stressed and overwhelmed, there's a reason why we call it comfort food. Yeah. There is nothing like a King Ranch chicken casserole showing up at your doorstep. Like that will make you weep when you are overwhelmed and exhausted Mm -hmm. and feeling isolated and alone because it says you're not alone. And that someone cares. And someone cares and loves you and cares about you. And so I love that story because I think I'm hearing more and more of that. And honestly, Erica, some of that is also about you. You There was some crisis going on a couple of months ago and someone actually, because they've heard me talk about King Ranch chicken casserole. (laughs) Um, Did they bring it to you? She brought me a King Ranch chicken casserole and I literally started crying. Yeah, It was this moment of all of those pieces coming together and how Mm -hmm. powerful that can be. I know some of that has been about my openness and sharing my story. And Erica, you do the same is that you've been Mm -hmm. very open um, in your work and recognizing this is such an important topic. So thank you for that work because I think that's what it's going to take. It's going to take all of us. Um, I'm one voice, you're another, but I think it's all those voices being really open and reminding people over and over again that it's a health issue. I remember sitting down with a mom one day at lunch and she was telling me about her son. I think I counted four times I said to her, it's a health issue. Yeah. It's a health issue because she was carrying around so much of the weight of, I have failed as a mom and that's why you know, my son is struggling right now. And finally, the fourth time I said it, she looked at me straight in the eye and she said, it's a health issue. Yes, she got it. Yay. And I said, and because you know that, you can talk about it differently with your son mm-hmm. and you can release him from that shame mm-hmm. and guilt that he's experiencing. Because part of the issue was that her son wasn't getting help because he was carrying around the weight of the shame. Right. He didn't reach out. He didn't realize that she was carrying it too. Uh And that was the truth in our family. I never said to my daughter that I was ashamed of her or even ashamed of of ourselves as a family. Mm -hmm. But you know, Erica, from the work that you do, that shame is toxic and it's in the air. And it's unconscious. Not only is it unconscious with us as individuals, but just in our culture. And it's so old. I can remember stories that... I think one of my great uncles told about his mom and I was trying to understand more about our genealogy and he said, yeah, every now and then we would tie her up to a chair with rope and put her in a closet until she could kind of become normal again. Yeah. And I, that kind of leads me to the, another question, but just how is NAMI shifting our perceptions of mental health in general? I mean, it has been barbaric in the way that we've approached it. 
Yeah. Well, I think we're doing it a lot, a lot of different ways. I mean, I think this in terms of, you know, sort of our tagline for the last couple of years has been that we're changing the mental health conversation. Yes. And I think while that's a real light, you know, you're always looking for what's the language you can give people. It encompasses so much because I think changing the conversation means changing the conversation in people's homes. So within family mm-hmm. systems, and that's, that's huge because we see what happens when we help families to understand that the, their loved ones, that in their behavior, how they can seem reckless and irresponsible and, you know, again, all that behavior, and that that can create situations where families distance themselves and where they push their family members away to help them to understand that they have to develop a deeper level of empathy and understanding that what they're seeing is the illness. Exactly. And they can gain a deeper level of understanding and compassion and empathy for their loved one, and that's huge. So changing that in the family, Mm-hmm. but then changing it in the larger community because what I'd love to see is that we create a whole community of people that become mental health advocates, right? Yes. Who say, Hey, the way that we criminalize mm-hmm. mental illness is not okay. Right. You know, the family that I just mentioned, you know, and, and other families that I've worked with where they feel at times that the system of care is so broken that the only way that potentially their loved one can be safe is if they commit a crime and they're in jail. Mm-hmm. Erica, what does that say about yeah, our culture when that's okay? Yeah, I've been there where it was a traumatic time for our whole family because we didn't know what our options were. Yeah, And it's just sitting on the sidelines waiting for something catastrophic to happen, and it did. Yeah. And that's our story. You know, yeah. before we knew about NAMI, before we were educated, we didn't know who to call or how to handle it appropriately. And there needs to be that information that's just available to the public so that if, when something does happen, either to a loved one, a friend, or a coworker, that we know how to address it. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's part of the, again, making people more aware of what the resources are, because I will say, at least in the Austin, Travis County area, we're we're somewhat fortunate because we have a pretty robust local mental health authority, and we do have some programs in place and and uh, in a community of law enforcement that is really focused on diversion of, and a real focus on keeping people out of jail, mm-hmm. but there's still some lacking in, in our system of care. And so I think that's the other place where my role in, in the organization is also to sit at a lot of tables that are making policy change and that are really looking at transforming systems. Seven years ago when I first became part of the NAMI Central Texas, and and at that point it was NAMI Austin, right, Um, of that team, that we weren't at those tables. And so I do think that that's huge, that now that many times when those kinds of coalitions or advisory committees or policymakers are getting together, they are recognizing the importance of having that peer and family voice, that advocate voice at the table. How did that shift happen? Were you proactive and saying? I think we were very proactive. I mean, I think um, I owe a lot of credit to Adrian again, who introduced me to all of the right people when I first, you know, joined the staff. And one of those has been David Evans of Integral Care. I mean, as the CEO of our local mental health authority, he was one of the people that she introduced me to and said, this is a person who knows the landscape in our community. And so you want to get to know him 
and you know you can trust him to make introductions and so that that certainly helped a great deal um i think us being involved in particular with the austin police department and with yes. their training helped i just made sure that i went to a lot of events where there were judges and district attorneys and policymakers in the room mm -hmm. and introducing myself and saying, here's what we do. And that people began to trust us, to trust mm -hmm. in what we were doing. And, and I think that that's really all about, Erica, relationship building. Right. I mean, I think we forge our presence in the community by being a reliable source of information and resources. Mm -hmm. And we do that by being consistent and being reliable. And that that comes, again, in, in relationships. So it comes from people knowing that they could call me and, mm -hmm. and ask me questions and that knowing that I would call them as well when I, you know, had questions and that, mm -hmm. and that that's actually fundamentally how the best of advocacy and change happens in our community. Mm -hmm. When we're in relationship and when we trust one another and when we recognize that we may not always see things in the same way or see the same mm -hmm. pathway, but that ultimately here's what I've learned is that by and large, most people want the same things that NAMI wants. Right. Do you need assistance with relaxation, mood, and occasional sleeplessness? Our featured product is Calming Cream by Neurobiologics. This natural lotion is designed to increase levels of the calming, reducing neurotransmitters in the brain. In a lavender oil base, it delivers GABA, L-theanine, 5-HTP and magnesium to help you relax and feel balanced. Go to your truthreveal.com slash store and use promo code TRUTH for a 20% discount. Welcome to the bonus segment of my podcast, Your Truth Revealed. I want to expand on some of the main points from my interview with Karen Reynas. Whether you are suffering from anxiety, depression, or any other mental health condition, know that you are not alone and there is support. The changes that are happening because of the coronavirus pandemic can affect anyone, from losing loved ones, financial strain, racial tension, and social isolation, this is a challenging time. Remember that a mental health condition is a brain health issue. The more that you understand this and help others to understand, the sooner our communities will let go of public stigma and shame. Let's get out of hiding in the shadows and into the light. This means growing in our knowledge and compassion for those of us who suffer. The more awareness we have, the more we can help. If someone is diagnosed with any other illness, we don't whisper and say that person has a character flaw and push them away. The brain and the nervous system, just like any other part of the human body, can become ill. If a serious mental illness is not treated, it can lead to suicide and death. However, when we are advocates for mental health for ourselves and others, we can heal and thrive together. Dr. Matthew Lieberman wrote a book called Social, Why Our Brains Are Wired to Connect. He says our need to connect with others may be more basic than food and shelter. Having a sense of connection and community is the greatest predictor of happiness. And as we develop more empathy for others and compassion for ourselves when experiencing mental illness, 
We can heal through connection. There are many people who are here to help and resources are available. If you or a loved one is thinking of suicide, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. They offer free and confidential emotional support to people in suicidal crisis or emotional distress 24 hours a day, seven days a week to empower people. They also offer specific resources to lost survivors, youth, Native Americans, LGBTQ, and more. Again, that number is 1-800-273-TALK. The National Alliance on Mental Illness has been a tremendous support for my family and for me. Check out the resources on their website, nami.org, N-A-M-I.org. You can easily find your local NAMI by selecting your U.S. state. For adults with a mental health condition, you can take a workshop online that teaches inspiration and skills for living, and you can also join an online support group. For anyone with a loved one living with a mental health condition, there's an online class available. You can also join an online support group to help you become a greater source for your loved one. If you are simply looking for a counselor, go to psychologytoday.com. You can select teletherapy, the type of issue you're having, the therapist you're looking for, and more. You'll be given many counselors to choose from so that you receive the help that you need. There's more great resources like these in the show notes. I also encourage you to listen to episode 20 as Karen and I dive into how she's helped families and organizations in the community fill in the support gap. Never underestimate the power of language. Shifting the language, I think, can help us move toward a more positive and proactive approach to taking good care of ourselves. When we get to this place where we completely embody our mental health, I mean, that's when I think it will be a time of great change. Until next time, subscribe and rate the show. You never know who this might help. Also tune into season one for more on unleashing your mental and physical health potential. I'm Erica Marcoux. Thanks for listening.